and we're back episode number 15 which is the third part of our four-part series covering the end-to-end of job hunting cat how are you that that is a difficult question to answer in the current climate ah on the day-to-day i'm fine you know you and i talk we chat you know a little behind the scenes baseball tomorrow night our friends otherwise it would be weird to be on a podcast where we vicious <laughs> violent enemies but uh, you know day to day i'm okay i've had some wobbles with mental health recently i think lockdown's tough it's just like we're all is it february march we're still here i've not really seen a human since for, for a year haven't really been you know hugged in a fun way in a year it's just a whole <sighs> but you know i'm okay i'm looking on the positive sides there are good things good people out there there are fun things to do and one day we're going to get back out loud outside and can run around and scream how are you how's your i <laughs> i'm good thank you um i have this um so animals and i have like this Un, unsaid love or relationship I, I guess you could say so it's um, whenever I go on a walk um, if I see li- like little dash hounds you know the ones with the uh, the little legs um, sausage dogs the sausage dogs um, they will always come running <laughs> running to me and they'll say hello which is always interesting because you, you always get their owner saying they never do that to, to anyone um so it's really sweet. It cheers me up. And then cats at the moment have this thing of just following me. Um, which is, again, well, see, I, it's... Uh, well, cat, I'm giving some serious serious thought to getting uh, my own cat again. It's been a while since I've been a cat mum. I've kind of... I am, like... It, it's a head and heart thing. Like, my head's like, like it's impractical. You travel. It'd be awkward. What are you going to do? My heart's going, like, <laughs> but you want some an adorable fluffy member of the family to love my head's going yeah but you've got to go to work and you'll be like locked up here forever and my heart's like yes but floofy little paws with toe beans <laughs> and at the moment uh, and at the moment you know we're not going anywhere so whenever i see a dash hound like as a you know a sausage dog i like i have to really really hold myself from wanting to just go and buy one like the urge is so real but the reality is, you know, uh, I barely managed to look after myself, so I would be the worst. Um, oh, well, it's the classic head versus heart deliver, isn't it? Yeah, and you want to. where I'm. You want to look after someone and and give them the time, and, and I think with pets, just like not that I'm comparing pets to babies. I mean, I technically am, but I'm just saying, if you've got a baby, don't don't come for me. Um, you know, they require a lot of love and attention, and. And I think you have to be in the in the right frame of your life to 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 really devote time and attention to that. And I, um, as much as I try and not count myself as a stereotypical, you know, working woman, the reality is right now I I just wouldn't be able to do justice to that relationship. But, well, that's why I know for a fact I could not have a dog. Like I I grew up a dog girl. My parents have dogs. When I go visit them. I will more than happily spend all evening cuddled up on a sofa with a dog on my lap, watching TV. Love dogs, but I, I, I'm well aware that I am not 
in a position to dedicate the amount of care and attention a dog requires. I can't walk it three times a day, every day, regardless. Like, and that's why I, you know, I have a real like, yeah, but cats are easier, and I do. I'm in the position. I don't know. It's it's. I'm, I, Check back in a month or two, I'm almost certainly going to have a cat. On that note, as much as I, I, I really desperately wish we were going to continue this conversation, um, the the third sort of episode in, in our sort of hiring series, I want to focus on the, the concept in, uh, of, of interviewing. Um, yeah, because interviews are a tough one. It's... And I... I don't, it, I'm lucky enough to have got to a point in my career where I see it from both sides. I, like I've been the interviewee more times than I would care. But equally, I've been an interviewer thousands of times now. So it's a, it's yeah, looking at it from both sides is a very it's a diff. I've got, I've actually gained a lot of confidence from being an interviewer in many ways. And that's that's always interesting, right? Because it's such a it's such a it's such an unnatural experience, I think, for for both people, the interviewee, the interviewer, because you're, it's it's a situation that in no other aspect in your life are you ever going to just have someone throwing questions at you, and and asking you sort of like off the cuff, even though like yes, you might have prepared you know some answers and you kind of have a general idea of what they're gonna ask you, and. And there's so many like techniques, etc., that I, I also want to talk about as well. You know, because people talk about nonverbal communication. You know, like when you go in, how you shake the person's hand, and and there's I mean so much interesting detail which we'll we'll hopefully delve into in this episode. But it's such a unnatural phenomenon. But we we spend you know most of our working life either on one end of it or the other, right? So if you're in a job you might get asked to take part in the interviewing process. Um, and if you're not in a job or you're, you're in between jobs or you're looking to change um, or even move internally, you know, most companies also now have internal interviews, which I guess are probably not as daunting. Um, so my, my first question to you is, Kat, you know, as someone who's been on both sides um, and who's, you know, who's, who's sort of, probably had quite a few interviews or, or, or even, you know, given or taken a lot of interviews. What are your initial thoughts? How do you kind of go about preparing yourself for it? Um, any tidbits that you can kind of share? I think in many ways it depends on the phase of the process you're in. Um, so, I, you know, I can only answer from the tech perspective, which is like, Obviously, every company is different, but there's always sort of phases of interview. There's a kind of prelim screening phase. There'll be the kind of technical phase where they'll just like prove you know your stuff. And then there's the more soft skills. We think, you know, obviously, you know your stuff, but like, are you a complete asshole? And do you actually have like an interest? And like, would you fit? They're, like, they're always different phases. I think, whatever phase, and it's really hard to say this. You are going to be nervous. I've been nervous. Mm -hmm. You are going to be nervous. Um, a good interviewer will expect that at the start. But a good interview throughout it will see that dissipate. 
So, don't worry. I mean, I guess my the, my biggest takeaway has always been: don't worry if you're nervous straight away. That's natural. It's normal. It's the weird situation you're walking into. You don't know what to expect. You will have all of those weird feelings and adrenaline, conscious and probably external stresses like, oh my god, I need this job, or I just would really like this job. You know, whatever it is, there will be external stresses. There'll be internal feelings. You're going to be nervous, so that that's just fine. Like, the first five minutes of your interview are going to suck. There's almost nothing you can say in the first five minutes that will make you a, a no. I mean, there are a few, but then you're probably a terrible human if you would say those things. <laughs> like, I can think of a few things I'd be like, uh, no. But a good interviewer, a, a right opportunity where you gel and it's you will uh, ice cream will melt into the thing it will become easier and you'll walk out going why was I nervous about that yeah it's interesting actually it, it, I guess it comes to show I have no idea by the way if that answered your question it, it did and, it, and I think it's kind of helped me sort of realise um, how much traditional interviewing has changed right so before it'd be like you go in and you try and answer the questions to the best of your ability because that's really what people are measuring you against. And I, and and some companies still do really focus a lot on that. You know, they have sort of different levels, and each level has different questions, and each question has you know certain points or keywords they're looking for. And I think, as much as it it is very important that the person has the knowledge that they that they need for that role. I think if you fixate too much on particular questions, as opposed to having a natural conversation, I think that's that's where that's where well, I think interviews can interviews can really sort of be derailed. Can you end up hiring the person who's just memorized the words, etc. Right. Well, well, I think one of the, one of the things I think everyone should avoid, and I have been told I'm a good interviewer, or at least I'm an unexpected interviewer. Because the one thing I will never do is ask you about the contents of your CV. That I can attest to because a cat <laughs> has interviewed me in the past. Uh, I have. Uh, partly because I'll never have read it. Um, because I, I will always assume that whoever it is put in front of me to interview has cleared several hurdles, including the fact their CV has all the right buzzwords to get through whatever screening. So I don't, I, in a way, I don't care, and I don't prejudice myself by reading something on there that'll be like, Ugh, or wow. I don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's it's relevant and it's important. But I want to meet the person and I want to talk to them about their life and what they're going to bring to a role. I don't not go through. And I, I've heard so many people I've interviewed go, oh, you didn't ask me about my city. It was great. Yeah, you didn't. Like literally go through every wrong. Don't tell me about that. Tell me about that. It's like no. I want you to tell you. I want you to tell you about what you're going to do for me. I've got problems. I've got ninety nine problems. <laughs> are you one of my solutions? Are you going to solve it? Like here's how. Like tell me how you're going to solve it. And if I get excited and we chat. Yeah, because I remember. Yes. I remember distinct, distinctly, because but sort of when you interviewed me, I was in a, a unique position where. I basically said to, to that company, like, you, you, I can only be interviewed in one day. So it needs to be done in one day. So it was like four back-to-back conversations. So it was really interesting because I got to see four very different interviewing styles. 
you know, people, some people came with very like specific questions. And then you walked in and you, you basically just said, right, this is the problems we have. How are you going to solve them? And that kind of allowed me to just naturally talk to you about, you know, not not just the way that I think and I approach different problems, etc., but like to you know also grasp from I guess your perspective, like does she actually understand the problem that I'm talking about? You know, um, but exactly you want to because what you want to do in any role, however, no matter how senior, is bring someone in who will attack the problem you've got and whatever. I mean, and by by giving it to them in the interview, or what you can do and how they talk about it. I mean. And in many ways, it's it's. You will always have the problem of I don't quite understand this area. Am I liable to be bullshitted at? I've got a pretty strong bullshit detector. You can tell someone who is talking about what they've seen versus what they've done. And by giving people that opportunity to attack the problem you've got and tell you what they do, I bring the experience of what they've done in the past and how they want to do in the future and what the mistakes they've learned and how they learn them. Yeah, uh, that's my interviewing technique. I, I maybe and I wish we more people did that because I've heard that lots of people don't do that. Yeah, and I think that's also where it's it's sometimes people assume that if you're in a senior position, you you're you're all you know automatically sort of learned and you know all of these things and maybe sometimes you know companies need to realize that they need to invest in interview in, in sort of interviewing you know workshops and support to the people who are then going to be interviewing um oh absolutely i mean obviously like we're a, we're a tech podcast but we're in tech um so i think you know we need to address the like the how do i get a job like you know, i've left university i'm a graduate so what is that process going to be like? So I guess you know, because it's a it's a and I and I I, I obviously within operations interviewing is something that we look at on a day to day basis. We look at you know the processes and can we improve it? And one of the sort of most interesting statistics that I'm always presented with um, are basically that women do really bad at code tests, and you know. And I always kind of look at the data or I look at like when people give me these sort of like examples and I and I think, but why is that, right? Mm. Because you could have ex- extremely uh, sort of like experienced developers. And so it does sometimes make me think that is the biases sometimes that we don't understand how interviewing needs to be diverse because the way you shape questions, the way you you build tests, etc., are you unfairly marginal marginalizing people? And it's- I think, uh, from what I've seen, there is a a tech interview is a stressful thing. You, you obviously debates abound a lot online about whether what is the right way to interview tech skills. For good or ill, industry sort of decided that at some point in the tech interview, you're going to have a technical skills test. So it's a stressful thing. You're being put on the spot. You, you know you're going to have a problem presented to you, and you're going to have to code live or solve a problem in a time limit. And But I think there's a 
there's a part of the interview process where there's a tolerance for dealing with the unexpected, which I've seen a lot of people, when things go wrong, not as part of the test, but as part of the infrastructure of the test, like WebEx has failed, Zoom's gone a bit weird, this Google Skype call, whatever, has cut out and got dialed back in. It's, it should be on the interviewer. The company you're interviewing should have put a person in front of you that makes that okay. And I think a lot of women, I've been in that position, when something goes wrong, you feel like it's your fault. You feel like you're being judged. And it should be on the interviewer to communicate to you very strongly that this situation isn't your fault, that we'll adjust to it, give you more time, etc., and we'll make it okay. And that's a thing I've seen time and time again, that those allowances aren't made. So what... what the other problem... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So, so what can... What would you... Like, if that is something that companies are not addressing, what... Because, I, I, you know, it's always a... I, I, I want to give people sort of insight, but I also want to try and give them sort of help, in many, helpful tips. In many ways. Like, is that something that you as a, an interviewee have any any sort of... You, you have no control over it. Control. But you, it, it, ultimately, it's very difficult. Um, and I am a very different person in my 40s and I was in my 20s. And right now, I know how I would deal with it. I'd make a joke of it. I'd be bullshit about it. I'd call it out. I'd talk about it. Mm-hmm. Because my job these days is communicating. It's... If in my 20s I'd be like, I know how I would have felt about a, a thing going wrong and it would have stressed me out. And I couldn't have put myself in that. So I, I don't want to give advice which is, just grow up 20 years and you'll be fine. And it be, <laughs> but even if we could all do that, that would be amazing. If I could be this wise now in my 20s, I would have been a powerhouse, not a disaster of a human being. The big, I think one of the things to take away from a tech interview, it will be stressful. It's going to be stressful. You're on the spot. It's always going to be stressful. The best way of alleviating that stress is to know your stuff. And that means practice. Don't go for the job you really want first. And practice. Practice, 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 practice. You're going to have to solve a problem. So... There are books, Cracking the Code, uh, crack, is it Cracking No, Cracking the Code? There's a very famous book on programming interviews. Practice that stuff. Go on HackerRank. Code to a problem. But there are very, you know, you're, there are certain things you're going to be expected to be able to do. Read text from a file, parse it into some meaningful data structure, do something with the data structure come up with an algorithm to solve a problem and that stuff is actually easier the younger you are because it, it's more akin to what you do at university but the, like, nobody's good at that stuff out the door and for, as we've said before for girl like L, that's what we interview on so just effing practice it and it's boring but if you're serious about interview practice it go on hacker rank two hours a day every day either after work or if you're you know, unemployed, 10 hours a day, 5 hours a day, like, and practice and get good. Have, have it at your fingertips. 
because when you go into the interview and you're confident and go, I don't quite understand the problem right yet, but here's how I'm going to bootstrap it. Here's how I'm going to write the unit tests. And you can just, I want to see a coder approach, not coder. I don't want to see coders. <laughs> I, don't want to see... I want to see an engineer who has it in their fingers. They're not hunting around for, how do I sort a list? How do I, they, they know their stuff. The esoteric date holes of weird libraries don't care. I, I want you to know in a code test that you've got the absolute basics out. Later on, if I'm interviewing somebody, we're going to have a chat about computer science and do they understand stuff about computing, mm -hmm. about how computers and operating systems work. But that's not, that's later down the line. You've got to practice. Because when you practice, it's like everything. Don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. Because ultimately, that's what people are hiring. They want to see confidence. They want to say, oh yeah, I could drop you in and you may not learn, know the language, you may not know this, but you could get up to speed because you've got this innate ability to, under pressure, write some code. On the flip side, it doesn't remember there's, you're in a code test, so it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, solve the problem, come up with a solution. Don't go for the most optimal first, but talk. And actually, the the biggest thing I could say to anybody going into a technical interview is, is be garrulous, because no one can read your mind. So if you're sat there for five minutes thinking, that may be weirdly unusual for your process of how you'd actually solve a problem, but but talk out much in the way that through. talk out loud like much like everything is weird in an interview a, a companion piece to that is ask questions because one of the things we do as engineers is we make minute decisions all the time in a work context that's fine whatever at some point you'll have a co-review and you'll talk about it but in an interview again it's a weird situation it like Embrace the weirdness of the interview. So ask, I, I think this, what do you guys think? Like talk to the interviewers like they might be colleagues. Like it like it doesn't matter, like they're not your friends, but you know making assumptions is bad, but it, it shows your thought process. Because really that's what a lot of the time it's about. It's not on the spot can you solve a problem that maybe took someone ten years to come up with 35 years ago and we're proving whether you can read books it's how do you think and part of that is making it's, it's like oh I'm about to make an assumption let me vocalize that let me ask a question let me say I'm thinking about this is that what you had in mind I'm thinking about blah and there's no harm in asking questions I think I think that's also a myth that needs needs demystifying that it's not just a case of at the end of the end of the interview you get five minutes to ask your questions as you're going along as you're having that conversation you're also interviewing the company you know so you also need to make sure that they're answering the questions or they're giving you as much detail as possible so you can understand what their problems are and what they'd want you to work on and I think that is as important and a, and a lot of people you don't get taught that you just get taught here are the you know the possible questions memorize them go in do your bit ask the typical questions at the end you know well, what is your culture that's like that's that's an interesting question 
I don't think I ever really got taught how to in, how to be interviewed. Like we did some stuff at school, which was completely useless because shock horror schools are so far removed from reality of interviewing for a professional role. It might as well have been a pantomime. Like, <laughs> so what it, what, like it was so ridiculous. It was so stupid that I look back with it and go, "Well, that's just why teachers are." different breed of people and I was about to let my prejudice against teachers there slip through but you know uh, it's, hey it so I'm an ex-teacher ah <laughs> oh, yeah focus on the ex-teacher it was so bad no one teaches how to interview and it is you have to embrace the fact that you're about to go into a weird environment yes there's a power imbalance yes somebody is sitting there with a choice to make about your future in a tiny way you have all the power though to engage with it and go is this a choice that i want to make i can accept this or i can't how do i a put my best self forward how do i talk expose my brain like the people listening to this podcast are technical people they want this women in stem or they want to be women in stem like the only thing that matters is what's in your head the beautiful gray matter that shows how you think and solve problems like Programming is a craft. Like we, the interview process should highlight how you apply your craft in a tiny way. The later interviews will show you the science of how you understand the science that is computing and the discipline of engineering. But there is a period of time in the interview process where you just get to show off your craft. So practice your craft. Like if you are a person in STEM, you should, part of that identity has to be that of a craftsperson and to take pride in the things you make and you get to do that in front of someone and that's kind of cool but it's still a really weird thing to do that in front of someone and externalize your inner monologue and bring them on the journey and also desperately try and make them like you but that's not a thing you should ever worry about doing and also make sure that you like them as well i've been in well, that- i've been in interviews where and before walking into the interview, I've thought, I really, really want this role. And then I've gone through the interview process and I've always been offered the role and I've turned it down. I, I've, yeah. I, I've turned it down for many reasons. I think one of the reasons it was, um, it was a company and throughout the interview process, I got a very negative feeling about their culture. And they kept trying to you know say to me like no no because i kept bringing it up that's also a thing right bring it bring up the the questions that you have as you're going along through the process and i kept saying i can't get a i can't get a pulse of your culture um or or i think or your culture seems like this and the other and so when they came to offering me the role i declined it and i actually said to them i was like you know for me personally it's not just about having the role it's like knowing that this is a culture that i'm going to fit in and so I, so I declined. Um, as you're being asked those questions, start put making a mental list, or I mean, always have a notepad in your interview, right? Because you you should be making notes about what people are saying, because that will help you sort of engage with them more. But it's also there so you can write notes about how you felt in that interview and and the questions that yeah. you have. See, because could we need to wrap this up sooner rather than later? And I, there's more to talk about. I want to end on probably something slight, a lot controversial. I guess it depends when you're, were born. 
what would you wear to an interview? I always wear something smart. So um, probably a suit. But if it's a tech interview, then I'd say something smart, casual. And, I, and, I, and, and, and it was a sort of faux pas that I realized, <laughs> especially when I started with a company I currently work with for the first two or three weeks, I was dressed very, very smart. And I realized that I was inadvertently creating a barrier between myself and, and, the, and the engineers that I really wanted to, to, to build a relationship with, because if you're supporting them, you know, that's, that's kind of what you needed to do. And so I had to kind of take a step back and kind of put away all of my smart clothes and, and bring out like the, 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 the in-between, the smart casual where I still felt comfortable, um, mm. but I had a more casual approach. And, and I think in tech, that that is far more important, well, I think. It's a weird one because I, I, I'm a product of the time. Like, you know, I grew up in the 80s and I went to school in the 90s and it got beaten into me that when you go to an interview, you wear a suit. So... Maybe the only time in my life I ever wear a suit, I own one suit. I own a couple of blouses, but I own one suit. Is it an interview? It's an interview, but I will, I, it doesn't matter what I'm interviewing for. And it never mattered what I interviewed for. I wore a suit when I interviewed at uh, a warehouse to put stuff in boxes. Oh yeah, when I was 16. I I wear a suit to an interview. I, I, but I don't know if that's still true. Like, I've literally interviewed somebody in a dressing gown. Now, that was probably taking it a bit too far. Yeah, I was going to say... No, sorry, sorry, when I say a bit too far, that was taking it so, so far beyond the pale. I was like... So, actually, it's, it's interesting. Let, let's discover some inter, in, interview faux pas, right? I think dressing gown is definitely up, up there. It's quite high. Okay, um, okay, I need to paint the picture, though. It wasn't just they were sat at a desk in a dressing gown. It was they were on their bed, clearly on a laptop with a webcam, <laughs> and they were sort of leaning over it, so the, the, the dressing gown was gaping open and the cherry chest was on display, and it's like... like Oh yeah, oh, I, I, me, can't, I can't take you like just just no, big big no. Like like I always say to people, like even in, even now when we're working, like I don't care if you're wearing shorts at the bottom or leggings, make sure your top is always presentable. Because I mean, yeah. you're working. We're working from home, but we're still working. You might not have a, a desk to work from. You might need to work from a bed or a couch, etc. But there's some etiquette. But I remember being in a in a face to face interview in those days when we were pre COVID and the company that I'm currently working for um, I was interviewing for for, <laughs> for a member of staff working directly for me and um, this lady came and she sat down in the room with me and she was talking and I thought she had um, a, um, a tongue piercing and I thought she was playing around with it in the interview because she kept moving what I thought was a white ball and you know you can get the piercings with the white ball around in her mouth so it's slightly distracting but I mean like it is what it is right um, and then all of a sudden, halfway through the interview, she just took whatever it was in her mouth and then just placed it on the table in front of me. And at that point, I realized it was gum, like a circular piece of gum. Um, and it wasn't a, a, an attempt to like hide it or remove it from her mouth elegantly. It was like, I'm just going to take this gum out. I'm going to put it in front of the interviewee, uh, interviewer. And I had to really stop myself from laughing because I was just in shock. Uh, <laughs> 
So, you know, she definitely made herself memorable, but maybe not for the right thing. So, I definitely... No, I mean, I mean I'll always remember, like, it's a tech interview. You're probably going to have to share your desktop or in some way. If you have to share your desktop, and if you've got, you know, pro tip, if there's anything on there or your desktop you wouldn't want your mother to see, put it away before the interview, because we will see it. Shut that browser down, please. That is the biggest faux pas I've, I've seen, is assuming that I am there as part of HR and to glad hand them and not have a final say whether they join the company or whatever or not. <laughs> um, but on that yeah, note, I, I think this is definitely a, an episode we will continue into part two. Um, I always say to people, as soon as you walk into a building, you are being judged, right? So be as nice to the doorman to the lady who's going to give you her pass to anyone in the lift because you don't know who you will end up working for eventually and who they are and if you can't respect those people it says a lot about you and and sometimes you know people people do go down and they say to the doorman or the door person like how is this person um so always be on your best behavior and and just treat people with respect and vice versa expect that res- respect back so if you oh, absolutely that that weird goth in the interview in in the in the elevator could be me <laughs> like especially in tech exactly the person covered in piercings and tats and dress up like a goth might actually be your ultimate boss so respect people they're all human um, and we will judge you on how you talk to the person who welcomes you just as harshly as I'll judge you on whether you know what a mutex is. Precisely. On that note, we will be back with a part two to this episode where we'll cover um, the other aspects of interviewing. I also want to talk about, you know, subliminal messaging and, you know, not just the way you dress, but the way your body language is, etc. So that'll be quite, quite, quite fun to talk about. Cat. As per usual, if people want to get hold of you or get hold of queens of the tech age, how can they do so? They can find us on Twitter at queensottage, uh, where we will happily respond and take feedback and answer any questions people have to ask. Uh, you can find me at Caitlin underscore F underscore Baker on the Twitters. And I know we're on Instagram, but I can't remember where, so I'm going to throw that over to you <laughs> before you can tell us. So we're st- still Queens OTT age on Instagram. I'm also on Instagram, Amara um, underscore OTTA, something like that. I should remember my Instagram. You're Amara, you're Amara underscore B underscore T underscore S. Now I have to ask you, because somebody pointed this out to me. Is this a K-pop thing? So, so right. I, I was that. That has changed slightly. Um but uh, was it a k-pop thing no 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 so yeah this is this is a story that maybe is is slightly long-winded but um when i first started off writing i had my own blog called beneath the surface so i short formed it to bts and this was a good i'd say five or six years before k-pop became a big thing and bts became a big thing but i like them i i love korean dramas i love korean music so you know what I'm going to own it. But I have a new Instagram, but I can't remember the ID. So just just, just follow Queens, O-T-T-H. You'll see me on there. We're always posting. We're doing videos. We're going to try and do some live interactions as well, especially as part of this now five-part series. Yeah, and thanks to uh, Shini for joining us last time. Exactly. Um, have a great evening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.
Bye.